Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. I am beyond excited. I mean, excited would be an understatement to introduce you guys to Daphne and Daniela and Andrew Kirk this morning. Uh, I can honestly say few families on this planet have impacted our lives as much as this family has in so many ways that it would take way too long for us to share. We've been around the world with these guys. We've ministered with them. We've laughed with them. We've cried with them. And they have such an anointing to impart passion. And uh, I'm going to let them share a little bit more about their ministry, but I want to say this about it. The message that these guys carry, for me, in my opinion, is one of the most significant and timely and relevant message for the body of Christ today. Amen. So, uh, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and come up? I'm going to pray for you. And um, while he's coming up, yeah, you guys give a good Calvary welcome. I do want to make mention uh, also today, right after the um, the potluck, uh, at about one o'clock, I'm going to make an announcement over there. And for those of you, again, we've made this uh, on social media, we made this announcement, just wanted to make a reminder that we're going to come back over here for whoever wants to come and can come. They're also going to be sharing a little bit about Israel and God's heart for Israel, while we should have a heart for Israel, and uh, maybe even a little bit about the upcoming trip um, this summer. You don't have to be wanting to go to the trip to come to this thing. It's going to be more than that, but they're going to touch on that um, as well. So let me pray for my brother. We baptized each other in the Jordan River last summer, didn't we? <laughs> we did. Uh, just kind of dunk. I look, I look more the part. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, Father, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for this family. Lord, we receive them. We receive your heart and your message and your words that you will speak in and through them this morning. We say yes to all that you have for us. And we pray a blessing upon the Kirks, upon their ministry, generation to generation. We pray blessing and favor upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning. Well, he said we're from England. I was going to say we're from southern Mississippi. But England will do. Um, Before we start, let me just say that at the back over here, there are some books. Um, We have Radical Discipleship, which is kind of the foundations to the message, and then Born for Such a Time as This, which is kind of the inspiration that goes on top of it. And then there are some leaflets or flyers just about the ministry, so if you're interested, you can grab some of those. Uh, My sister is sitting over there. Um, You can stand up or you know, whatever, just so people can. So you can go and talk to her afterwards. She heads up our anti-human trafficking initiative. So she goes to different countries. She was just in Thailand in December, uh, managed to reach out to about 300 women that are caught in human trafficking. And uh, she works with safe houses and churches around the world to help equip them to know how to deal with this issue, but also how can we all prevent it? Uh, You may not realize it, but everyone can help prevent human trafficking. Uh, It may take certain skill sets to rescue and to rehabilitate, but prevention, everyone can be a part of that. So if you're interested, you can go talk to her. It was really good this morning. Um, We're just sitting there, 
and looking at, you had the three generations of family up here this morning, um, which was awesome. It was really good to see. You know, a part, big part of our message is about the generations, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, how many of you have heard my mum before, or one of us? If you put your hand up. Okay. Good. You've got a new crowd. Um, one of the things I say when I get to speak first, uh, before Daphne, is that it's really good because I then get to warn you of the one who is to come. <laughs> okay, you caught on pretty quickly that I wasn't talking about Jesus. So, <laughs> you will appreciate that warning uh, in, about, in about 15 to 20 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me and my younger sister, um, we were raised a little differently from, from maybe the way that most kids were raised. Uh, my mum had a few goals for us in mind. Uh, one of those was that light was created for darkness. So growing up, she would say to us, you are light, so where you see darkness, you run to it. Um, so my sister now going off to places where people are trafficked, uh, as an example, but that was one of her goals for us. If you see, if you see darkness, you run to it. And um, I'll give you uh, an example of these from very early on. I think I was about 16. My sister was 14. We were in Indonesia. And a friend of ours came to my sister and said, Hey, Daniela, do you want to come and meet 18 assassins? <laughs> so... So my 14-year-old sister said, absolutely. <laughs> of course, I would love to come and meet 18 assassins. So she calls to me across the room. Hey, Andrew, tell mum I've gone to meet 18 assassins. <laughs> so I said, sure, this seems perfectly normal to me. So uh, I went to find my mum, and she was talking to another mum. And I said, hey, just letting you know, Daniela's gone to meet 18 assassins. So my mum looks at me and says, and why didn't you go too? And I was like, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is my life. Um, you know, we've been to about 40 different countries. Um, we've been in all kinds of situations. I started traveling when I was about 12 years old. I don't know how old, some, how old are you? Look at this, perfect. It's like we set this up, but we didn't. I swear we, we have never spoken. So you are a perfect age. Some of these other ones, they're getting a little older. Um, but we're, we're about to find out that we all need each other. So, uh, and we'll find out why as we go. So um, I, think, I think just about a year and a half ago, me and mum were in the Ivory Coast, and we almost got killed. Um, the, uh, the place we're staying in got attacked by bandits with machetes, and um, that we, we were pretty sure that was it. Uh, we've been in lots of dangerous situations over the course of our lives. Not often that you actually think, this is it. I'm about to receive the martyr's crown, uh, but that was one of them. And um, yeah, I could go on and on and on telling you about some of these crazy situations. So we're generation to generation, and our mission statement is reconnecting the generations and preparing them for such a time as this. So everything we talk about comes out of this statement. 
This morning, we're going to give you a very brief overview of our foundational conference. So normally, we take sort of three days to unpack this, but we're going to give you glimpses into what we talk about. And we'll start by talking about two groups of people. You know, when we read this book, we can only find two groups of people responsible for reaching and raising the next generation. And I'm going to talk about that first group of people. So Isaiah 41.4 says, Who is he calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first and the last am he. You see, God called forth the generations. He created them. When he created the universe and he called the wildlife and the trees and the skies and the oceans into being, and then he breathed life into Adam. And when he breathed life into Adam, he gave birth to the generations. He's a generational God. He names himself after the generations. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. This book is a generational book. Everywhere we turn in this, we see generations and families flowing after each other. And maybe we get to certain parts. Maybe you're more spiritual than me, but we're reading the book, this book and we say, wow, look, this is so powerful. This is amazing. And then we get to certain parts and then we go, okay, and let me just flick over these pages. What are those pages that we flick over? Genealogies. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. That would have looked bad. <laughs> But the genealogies are in there for a reason. And it's actually quite interesting when you study the genealogies. But this is a generational book. Psalm 145.4. It says, One generation shall tell the next generation the wonderful works of the Lord. You see, this passage says that one whole generation shall tell the next generation. Everyone. That means everyone sitting in this room this morning, all of you, is responsible for reaching and passing on to the next generation. But generally, as we travel around the world, this isn't what we see happening in the body of Christ. You see, we've taken what is a command of God on the life of everyone, and we've turned it into a calling. So we go to church and then we're asked, do you feel called to youth and children's ministry? Which gives you an opt-out. Say, no, I'm not called. I'm not called to the next generation. But this calling actually doesn't exist in this book. Nowhere to be found. You see, there's nothing wrong with youth and children's ministry. But, but we all should be involved with ministering to youth and children, everyone in here. But all around the world, we have about 20% of the church worldwide think that they are the ones responsible for reaching the next generation, which means you have 80% of the body on a worldwide basis saying, not my issue, not my calling. And then this has serious consequences, and we'll find out more about that as we unpack it today. In Judges 2.10, it says, When this generation had returned to its fathers, 
A generation grew up that did not know their God. You see, one generation didn't pass it on to the next. And a generation grew up after them that didn't know their God. See, we don't want this passage to be said of our generation. May we be a generation that pours into this next generation so that when we go, when we pass away, when we return to our fathers, that it won't be said of us that there's a generation coming after them that doesn't know their God. May it be said there is a generation coming. There is a generation coming that knows their God because of their faithfulness in passing on. You know, one day we believe we'll be held accountable for everything that God gave us, for your talents, for your time, that when we come face to face with the Father and he asks, how faithful were you in passing on to the next generation? Or was everything that he given to us, did everything he gave to us pass away with us? You see, to turn a nation, you must take the next generation. To turn a nation, you must. You must take the next generation. You see, other religions know this. Political systems know this. We were in India um, up the Himalayas. I don't even know if this was the trip that you were on with us, but um, we were talking to the person we were with, and we were overlooking a city of a million people. And he said, every home in this city has a mask on the gate to scare off evil spirits. And we started to ask this question all over the world. Where is there a city of a million people where we can say every home is dedicated to Jesus Christ? Three quarters of a million, half a million, a quarter of a million people. But we're yet to find this city where every home is dedicated to Jesus Christ. You could go to persecuted countries and you're allowed to give the gospel to anyone over 18 years old or um, over 21 years of age. Why? Why are you allowed to give it to older people? Because they know. They know that if you're going to take that nation, you have to take the next generation. And you can go on and on looking at other religions and political systems and how they are preventing us from reaching the next generation or how they are intentional with reaching them themselves. We can see um, in Islam, we have a lot of really good Muslim friends. But you can see online pictures of fathers taking their children to the mosque and they get there, and they kneel together. And the father will have his hand on his child's back as they bow. You can see pictures of, of fathers and men with children on their shoulders, holding guns. Why? Because they know. They know this, that if you're going to turn a nation, you have to take that next generation you see, we, when you do things God's ways, when you use God's principles, it works. See, we have to return to the way God asked us to do it. You see, one whole generation is responsible for the next. This is the first group of people, everyone, all of us, everyone here this morning, the entire body of Christ, one whole generation is responsible for the next generation. 
I don't know if you've noticed that every model of discipleship in the Bible is generational. Everyone discipled someone that would outlive them. You can look at Naomi and Ruth, Paul and Timothy, Mordecai and Esther. These are all generational discipleship. And it's very interesting when you look at each model to see what you can take from them, the different examples that they set. You know, I often talk about Mordecai and Esther. And we all, we all talk about the born for such a time as this moment. It's become a catchphrase, something we wear on the t-shirts or the posters or it's on the mug. It's become this nice phrase. But that's not actually the context in which it was used. It was a life and death situation. It was a life-defining moment. And we all focus on Esther and her risking her life. But if it wasn't for Mordecai, if it wasn't for Mordecai raising her and watching out for her and caring for her and putting his own life on the line first, maybe Esther wouldn't have been able to stand in that moment. You see, Mordecai set the example and then said to Esther, now you follow in my footsteps. You see, it's not just about us raising up this next generation and then sending them out. This is about us as an older generation setting the example, showing them how to do it, putting our own lives on the line so that they can follow in our footsteps. You know, as a ministry, we have young people uh, in countries all around the world that, that are willing to give their lives. We have a young guy from Memphis who's uh, getting ready to leave for North Korea. But why would he do that? I don't know if you know much about North Korea, but it's probably the most persecuted country on the face of the earth. So why would this kid from Memphis be willing to go and put his life on the line? Because he's seen us set an example for him to follow. Now, we've got a passage here that you'll all recognize when we start reading it, but I want you all to read this together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Those parts that seem the weakest are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. There should be no division in the body, but parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Okay, so you all recognize this passage, yes? It's pretty well known. Okay, so I want us to read this passage again, or, well, I will read it to you. Okay, so here we go. This is our generation to generation translation. Available at all bookstores. No, it's not reading. Okay, so it says, The youth cannot say to the elderly, The generation, the generation that seems to be the weakest is indispensable, and the generation that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. There should be no division in the body, 
but each generation should have equal concern for the other generations. If one generation suffers, every generation suffers with it. If one generation is honored, every generation rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each generation is part of it. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. See, this is not about structures. This is about relationships. Relationships between generations flowing together, honoring each other, rejoicing with each other, suffering with each other. People say that you can't take anything with you when you die. Uh, we disagree. We think there is something that you can take with you when you die. You see, the only thing you leave on this earth of eternal significance is the next generation. The only thing you leave on this earth of eternal significance is the next generation. Now, as Daphne comes up, our key scripture here is Psalm 45, 17. You see, I've talked about the importance of generations, but really, this is not about the generations. So why have I talked so much about the generations, yet actually the generations is not the issue? You see, this is the importance of the generations. It says, I will declare your name to all generations, and therefore the nations will praise you forever. This is the key scripture. This is why the generations are so important. You see, David, who wasn't a children's ministry, who wasn't youth ministry, he was a king, a warrior, he said, I will declare your name through the generations, and therefore the nations will praise you forever. Don't we all have as our ultimate goal to see all nations praising Jesus, all nations standing before his throne? Well, in this simple scripture is the key, and we don't see it preached in missions conferences, evangelism, great commission. We don't hear this scripture being preached. But according to this simple scripture, in order to see every people group and every nation at the throne of Jesus, we must pass his name on generationally. Now, Andrew talked about one group of people who are responsible for the next generation, and that is parent. Um, one generation is responsible for the next. I'm going to talk about the second group of people who are responsible for the next generation. The Bible says the secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to you and your children. Everything God gives a parent his first responsibility is to pass on to his children. Secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to you and your children. You are joint ownership with your children of everything God shows you. It doesn't say um, take them to youth or children's ministry. It says you are responsible for the discipleship of your children. You have that privilege. You have that responsibility. I didn't give it to anybody else. When you had your child, I gave you that responsibility to disciple them and raise them for me. You see, it's a biblical command that parents are responsible for their children. It's a command that we all take the next generation including parents, you're responsible for more than your own children. 
and it's a command to disciple your children. Therefore, we just are obedient or disobedient in doing this. Now, people say, well, some parents don't know how to disciple their pet children. Well, for a start, I don't think God asks us to do something we can't do. He doesn't say go to a class, read a book, or somebody train you, or be discipled yourself. He says, do it. I was in Brazil speaking to about 10,000 pastors, and I said to them, right, as an icebreaker, how many of you like football? Now, before we go any further, we play football. <laughs> we play football. You play hand egg. <laughs> so we'll just sort that out. And by the way, I want to issue an invitation. Seeing as we're now independent, you might like to come back and join us. But I'm just posting that out. <laughs> so, so I say to these um, pastors, right, how many of you um, like football? Soccer. They all go, yes, I mean, this is Brazil. Yes, how many of you have children like football? Yes, how many of you have children who support the same football team as you? Yes. So then I said this to them. Why have you asked me to talk about discipling your children? You know how to do it. You did it with football. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave now. <laughs> you see, how did they do it? You all, are parents, are discipling your children. You're discipling them in something. How do you do it with football? You love football with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That's called passion. You're passionate about it. If you're passionate, what do you do? You talk to your children about it. You put the posters on the wall. You put the T-shirts on. You put the hats on. I mean, you play football with your kids. You go out and cheer them on. You pass on passion. The next generation catch passion. So if you are not discipling your children for Jesus, it's not that you don't know how. It's just the other things you're more passionate about than Jesus. Because the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. If you love him like that, you will pass that passion on to your children. You will. Now, I don't understand this. I really, I, like I've sat on enough in airplanes to be able to talk to most people about most things and to understand where they're coming from. But I don't understand this. How can parents not be primarily concerned about their children's eternal destiny? How? I mean, to me, I think my biggest nightmare, I can't imagine anything more horrific than standing before the throne of God and looking around and wondering where one of my children are. I, I, tell me what can be a parent's bigger nightmare than that. And yet, for so many parents, it's, are they playing soccer? Are they in this club? Are they in that club? Are they doing this thing? Have they got good exam results? Look, following Jesus, obeying him, and fulfilling his will for my life came first. Education, etc. and I was a teacher, didn't come second, didn't come third. I was a sports teacher. Sports didn't come fifth, sixth, seventh. They were a hundred behind. There was nothing going to touch my children following Jesus or seeing anything that competed with that. And yet I see so many parents putting other priorities in their children that these things are more important than pursuing Jesus. I, I don't understand it. And I say this to parents. You are not discipling your children for this life. You are discipling them for eternity. 
And I ask you this question, are your children going to say thank you one billion years from now? Are they going to say thank you? Thank you, Mum, thank you, Dad, that I had a crown to put at Jesus' feet. Thank you. Or are they going to be going, Mum, Dad, I'm here, but I have no crowns to give him? You didn't set that as a priority. Your priority is to have eternity in mind with your children. Like I've just said, I'm a teacher, I was a sports teacher, like these things are great. But they're not going to stand before Jesus with a good education degree. I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, I really, really don't understand it. Now, I don't know much about what goes on here. I know a bit about what goes on with Mandy and Joshua. But, anyway, but I don't know what goes on here. Maybe you are all discipling your children. But I do know that right around the world, parents have lost this priority. And I, if somebody can come and explain to me the thinking of a parent that would put other things before being sure that their children are going to be winning souls and are going to stand for eternity. Come and explain to me, because I don't understand. You know, Daniel was taken from the land of Israel. I would love to meet his parents. I would love to meet them and say, how did you raise this young man so well? So here he was living... God's culture, God's way, and he was taken to Babylon. Folks, your children are in Babylon. They're in Babylon. The next generation is in Babylon. You're responsible for that. What did Daniel do? He was told, bow down. Now, he had choice. He could bow down. That wasn't on the agenda. He could go and shut himself in a closet and go, I'll pray here. I'm not bowing down, God. You see me. I'm not bowing down. I'm worshipping you, but nobody else can see me. No. He went and he stood at the open window and he said, I will worship only God. It's time to get your children in position, not to protect them, not to protect them from standing from God, but to put them in position to stand at that open window and say, as for me, because my parents showed me the way, I will stand no matter what the consequences. The time is here now. You're late on the agenda. It's serious times. You know, Andrew said, I mean, I, I was with my children in terrorist targets, underarm guard. They were light created for darkness. I never said, be careful. That's not in the Bible. Well, be careful is not there. It's be wise and be bold. And yet I see parents protecting them, protecting them. They don't learn to stand by you protecting them. They learn to stand by you standing with them in the darkest places of this earth because you and your household are called to serve the Lord and you're called to be lights in the darkness. You don't come here to be light. You come here to get your light standing brighter so you can go out and it will stand in the darkness. Your children, this next generation, are to stand in the darkest times this world has known. You know, the Bible says that his plans are from generation to generation. 
You've got to know what his plans are for your children and for the next generation, because you're all going to be held accountable. We've got to be like the men of Issachar, who knew the signs of the times and knew what to do. Let me give you a clue, and I remind you what Andrew said. I'm fast-tracking you through a whole conference, right? So if you think I'm going fast, you have no idea. So let me give you a clue how to be men of Issachar. The heads of the major mission organizations met together and they issued this statement. This is the heads. They said, this emerging generation can easily complete the Great Commission. Clue. There are many others. What does it mean if this emerging generation here can complete the Great Commission? What can they see? Somebody tell me. What can they see? The return of the king, yes? If they can complete the return of the king, Matthew 24, this gospel will be preached as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So here is this emerging generation here. And... Here is the completion of the Great Commission, and then the end will come. The end of what? The end of this age. Everything you do with this next generation, everything, is to prepare them to walk from here to the return of the king. That is your mission. And if you don't know eschatology, and that's the longest word I'm going to use, and just to impress you, because it means end times, but I, I know that word, right? So... It's a big word. I like, I like to get to this moment because I can use it, right? You don't understand what's going to happen from here to the return of the king. You cannot prepare your children and you can't prepare the next generation. There are two cries that are going to be coming out. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. Folks, let me tell you, the young people sitting here in front of you, your children, are going to be a witness to this. They can see... They could see the return of the king. What are they going? What are your children going to do? Are they going to be like in Peter when it says that they will be confident and unashamed of the day of his coming? Or are they going to say, Mum and Dad, you never told us I'm not ready, I'm in a mess. There's bigger things on the agenda for this next generation. And you know, when God looked for this generation, he chose a generation before them. He chose a generation before them, and that gets to be us. Now, you tell me. You tell me a greater privilege and a greater responsibility than being chosen to raise the generation that could see his return? I don't know what could be, what God could trust us more with, but he chose you and he chose us to be that generation. Listen, Abraham had a vision. He said, Isaac, I have a vision. Isaac said, Jacob, I have a vision. Jacob had a vision. What was the vision? They were saying, pass it on. We've got a land. Pass it on. We've got a land. Pass it on. We're going to have a land. Pass it on. We're going to have a land. Folks, I'm telling you this. We have a vision to pass on. 
and they're not getting it. I'm not saying they're not, but this next generation isn't getting it because we're not passing it on. We have a vision to pass on. The king is coming. Tell them, prepare them, pass it on. The king is coming. What is the vision? What is the vision? This is the vision. John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. We will be his people. They will be his people. Pass the vision on, prepare them for the king. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.